Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. Do you have a problem with anger? How about the people closest to you in your life? Would they say you have a problem with anger? Well, I've got some good news for you today. You can be free. Let's pray and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Lord, nothing's too difficult for you. And I pray, Lord, that you just give us such understanding from your heart today what anger is all about, what it is to be righteously angry, and what it means to be unrighteously angry, and how to be free from unrighteous anger. Lord, to get that arrow out so more of your glory, more of your life can come forth. We commit this time to you today, Lord. Let nothing get in the way. Let nothing hinder what you want to do here today. We love you and praise you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad you're here today. If you've just joined us in the Freedom Series, it's always a good time to join into Freedom. Uh, never too late for a fresh start, and it's a fresh start that leads to Freedom. We are on the session entitled, Free from the Arrow of Anger. Next week, we'll be free from the arrow of depression. And then we'll go into our summer series in the month of June, of course, a special lineup. And then part three of Freedom will engage in the month of July, July 11th. But all that information is uh, there for you on the back table if you haven't already received it. But today, free from the arrow of anger. <clears throat> Let's take a look at God's word, and uh, especially in Genesis, the fourth chapter, for starters. On the way there, let me just mention that anger is an issue of submission. I love to get to the, uh, to the core issue of everything, and on our way to uh, God's antidote for that particular issue, but I really believe, though more than one thing can be true at the same time, Anger is an issue of submission. And when we are submitted fully to the Lord Jesus Christ in his ways and his purposes and his sovereignty, we are in a great position for his life to flow. When we take things into our own hands, live for ourselves, and uh, uh, put ourselves at the center instead of him at the center, the stage is set for us to try to control life to try to control the outcome, and even if we don't say a word, we're controlling things on the inside, and that is a setup for anger, among other things. As we look at Genesis, the third chapter, it's really interesting how in just one chapter, the human race went from naked and not ashamed in the Garden of Eden, describing Adam and Eve, Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. No guilt, no shame, no preoccupation. They, were, they weren't always on their mind. The Lord was on their mind and they were engaged with one another, interacting with one another. It was pure, it was clean, it was holy. There was abandonment, ability to receive and give love, ability to have a free-flowing relationship with the Lord. Naked and not ashamed. Well, you know what happened in chapter 3. The human race fell. And we see the arrow of pride enter in when the serpent said in chapter 3, verse 4, for the Lord God knows, for God knows that when you eat of it, referring to the fruit that he was offering, that the enemy was offering, 
For God knows that when you eat the fruit of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And there is the big temptation that the human race fell for, being as God, putting ourselves first, deciding what's right and wrong. And of course, Satan was the, it was the originator of that. He wanted to be as the Most High. And he was cast from heaven. He and uh, many, many uh, other angels that became fallen angels because of their rebellion in heaven, putting themselves first, wanting to be as the Most High. So there he was, offering that same proposition to the human race. You can be as God. And that's where the arrow of pride enter in. But notice right after that, in verse 7, the response, the immediate response of Adam and Eve is they made coverings for themselves. So there we see the great cover-up beginning. They felt the shame of their sin. So the arrow of shame came in. They hid from God, verse 8. God called upon them, verse 9. Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid. The arrow of fear entered in. And then we go on to fast forward to chapter 4 of Genesis. Adam and Eve had their first child. And uh, actually referring to their first two children, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel offered an offering to the Lord. And you probably know the story. Abel's offering was acceptable. Cain's offering was not. And when Cain's offering was not acceptable, he became angry. Let's see what it has to say in chapter 4, verse 5. But, but on Cain and his offering, he did not, referring to the Lord, did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Isn't that amazing? From Genesis 2.25 to Genesis 4, verse 9, verse 8, we have the human race going from naked and not ashamed, pure, clean, holy, in communion with God, to the first murder. And notice the arrows entering the human race. Pride, shame, fear, rejection, anger, and depression, which we'll talk about next week. It's amazing how quickly things began to fall apart. But notice the attitude. Notice the attitude of Cain. He was not willing to submit. Sin was crouching at his door. God gave him the opportunity to turn. God gave him the opportunity to repent. God gave him the opportunity to give an acceptable offering to the Lord, but he refused. Sin, me first, is crouching at your door. Running your own life is crouching at your door. Being God of your own life is crouching at your door. But submit to me, Cain. Submit to Cain. To me, Cain, and it'll be okay. We'll make it right. Submit to me. But he refused submit to submit to the Lord. He took things into, into his own hand, and the expression of that was 
murder. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes we think, I could never do that. I could never kill anybody. But I wonder how many murders take place or how many people die at the hand of someone. And not necessarily a premeditated murder, not a first degree murder. I wonder how many people die at the hand of somebody else and the person who was instrumental in their death had no intention of harming them. Had no intention of harming them. I can, I can think of my own life where because of the father wound that I brought into my marriage and, and because I was looking to Mindy to, uh, to define me and uh, to meet my needs, uh, I would look to her for acceptance. I would look to her to respond to me the way I wanted her to so that I felt better about myself, so that I felt more secure. And I would get angry at her if she didn't respond the way I wanted her to. And I know there were a couple of times at least where it's only by the grace of God that I did not do greater harm to her. Whether it was at the time where I was the uh, MC of a fraternity sorority event and I was drunk and I threw her down on the floor right outside the meeting room, or whether it was in the bedroom, one of the bedrooms of our home in Fremont, uh, in the apartment we lived in, and in a fit of anger, I threw her down on the ground. Her eyes were fluttering. I didn't, real, I didn't know if I had broken her neck or what I had done. Was that intentional? No. But that was how I treated her was my response, my response to the rejection I felt, my response to the insecurity I felt. It was rooted in, in pride and rejection, and uh, I was responding accordingly. What a contrast that is to Jesus Christ. There's no, he, he has been rejected more than anybody on planet Earth. More than anybody. But he was not a victim. He came to do the will of the Father. And man despised, man mocked, and he was crucified. The response that Jesus gave to all that is he gave his life. Cain's response to rejection is he took a life in his rejection, in his anger, in his depression, in his me-first life. He took a life. And so it could have very easily been for me. I could have, in response to the rejection I felt, in response to the anger I felt, in response to the misery of sin that I was in, I could have so easily done the unthinkable and taken a life. Again, we can describe it in more than one way, but it was a failure to submit to God. I was taking things into my own hands. And that can be deadly. Anger, an issue of submission. James 1, 19 through 20 says that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Well, what would be an example of righteous anger? Is there such a thing? I mean, is it a case where anger is always wrong and it can never be righteous? Well, let's take a look at John, the second chapter. John, the second chapter, in uh, verse 13 through 16, a picture of Jesus. Now, one thing, I always, uh, one thing I want to remind you about Jesus is that he was always submitted. And these verses are in your outline, John 5, 17 through 20, and John 14, 31. He always did the Father's will. He always did what the Father was doing. He always lived to please the Father in his humanity. He was always submitted 
All that he did was in submission to the Father. And in the life flow of that, we have John 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them out of the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money, the money changers, and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? I wanted to read the account from John, because out of the four gospel accounts, in my opinion, it is the most vivid picture of his anger. Uh, I mean, he made a whip. Uh, he was intense. He felt strongly about this. But I also like what comes forth in uh, Mark 11, another account of the very same thing. Mark 11, verse 15, Mark 11:15, where it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers, the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And then he taught them. As he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He had strong thoughts about it, didn't it? He didn't he? He was angry. But as we go on today, what characterized his anger? Was his anger about him and any entitlement for him? His anger, even in his anger, he was still submitted to his father. Because it was all about the father. You will not make this temple a house of thieves, but it will be a house of prayer for all nations. He was righteously angry. It wasn't a claim. It wasn't resentment. It wasn't bitterness. It wasn't you owe me. It wasn't it's all about me. It was for his father's sake. It was for righteousness sake. And even though he was intense, he wasn't out of control. Now what would be an example, another example, Cain certainly is an example of unrighteous anger expressed even to the extent of murder. But how about another example of unrighteous anger? Let's turn to 1 Samuel 18, which is a classic example of unrighteous anger. 1 Samuel 18, starting with verse 6. This, of course, refers to David and Saul, King Saul. When the men were returning home from when the, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King David and uh, with singing and with dancing, with King Saul, rather, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and tambourines and lutes. And they, as they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him, the gall of bitterness, if you will. They, and then he thought, they have credited David with tens of thousands, but me only with thousands. 
What more can he, referring to David, get but the kingdom, of course, being king? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Notice what it says as it goes on. The next day, an evil spirit, notice this, an evil spirit from God. That doesn't seem to add up, does it? Because God is good, he's not evil. An evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the, do- to the wall. But David eluded him twice. And then it goes on to say that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, and um, with, with David, but uh, Saul knew that the Lord had left him. And he was afraid. And we know that he was dedicated from that point on to try to kill David. I don't want to bog down on that point of the evil spirit, but uh, King Saul opened himself up for an evil spirit. And it's not like God wanted him to have an evil spirit. But keep one thing in mind, that whatever God causes or what a God allows, it's always for his perfect purpose. And what God is always up to in terms of outcome is he wants that person to repent. So keep that in mind. It's not like God wanted that to be the case. But then again, God didn't want Saul to have the attitude he had to begin with. He didn't want him jealous. He didn't want him angry. But he opened himself up to evil spirits even in doing so. And speaking of that, let's turn to Ephesians 4, 26 and through 31. How can anger go bad? How can anger go bad? Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Here again, we see there is such a thing as being angry without sinning. Just as Jesus was in the temple that day, made a whip, very, very angry, righteously, but totally submitted to his father in all that he did. Totally submitted, righteously angry. So it is possible to be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give, because if you do, if you don't, if you don't resolve it, it's so easy for righteous anger to go bad. And then you open yourself up to the enemy's influence. And then it goes on in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, because then we see it's already gone bad. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So we can see that sometimes where anger starts off as righteous, perhaps, but that doesn't mean it automatically stays righteous. It can move into the land of unrighteous anger very quickly. But keep in mind some of the elements that are involved in from righteous to unrighteous is righteous anger is still submitted to God. Righteous anger is not a deed of the flesh, but a fruit of the spirit. And it still expresses the heart of God. And it's not making a claim. Righteous anger is not making a claim. It's not bitter. It's not resentful. It doesn't have a spirit of unforgiveness. You owe me. Pay me what you owe me. It's all about me. It's for me. I'm always on my mind. 
their submission to God, even in the midst of it. Well, let's take our inventory here today, taking your anger inventory. When is the last time, or excuse me, when in your life have you been the most angry? What happened? What was involved in that? Can you think of a time in your life that you were <clears throat> especially angry? Now, maybe later on today, you'll, you'll think of one thing now and you might think of something else later, but first impressions, when was the last time, excuse me, I keep saying that, when was the time that you were the most angry? And then, number two, when was the last time you were angry and what was involved in that? As you consider the last 30 days, Take a look at that list that I've set before you. Circle from the following what you have experienced during the last 30 days. I would say on one, if we had an anger meter, so to speak, or an anger scale, I think we could put frustration on one end of the scale and we could put murder on the other end. But what would be, on, what would be in between? And even before I say more, maybe you haven't thought of frustration as a type of anger. But frustration is really low-grade anger. So I've tried to be progressive on these, but obviously that might be a little subjective. But if we start with frustration and then irritation, impatience, resentment, and then, of course, anger, bitterness, hatred, rage, malice, and murder. During the last 30 days, even now, as we go along, circle the one or ones that you have experienced in the last 30 days. Along with this inventory, would you say you have a problem with anger? And would those closest to you, what would they say? What would those closest to you say if I asked them if you had a problem with anger? What would they say? In addition to what I've shared, I think one thing that's important to realize is we are defining anger, righteous, unrighteous, as we're taking inventory, as we're pressing into this subject of anger today. Another part that I want to address has to do with what some have said, and it doesn't matter who, but maybe you've heard this. You'll hear something like this. You'll say, they'll say, anger is neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. It's neutral. In other words, it's always neutral. It's what you do with it that matters. I don't know if you've heard that before. As I hear that, I think, well, I think I can understand where they're coming from and what we do with it obviously matters the most. But can we say it's neutral? Can we say hatred in our hearts is neutral? As we take a look at uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter, and I like what it says in the New American Standard in this case. Galatians, the fifth chapter, it talks about the deeds of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, not a very good... Uh, uh, not keeping very good company here with these. Idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, 
and things like these, of which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, excuse me, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think God's got pretty strong thoughts about the list. Those who practice such things, that's their lifestyle, that's their heart, that's what they live, that's how they live. Anger is on the list with all those others. And then, of course, what I just read from Ephesians, yes, it started off, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But then we see as things progress, we, think, we see things like bitterness, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So I think it would be an incomplete statement to say that anger is neither right nor wrong, good nor bad. It's what you do with it that matters. I really believe that those who would present that position, I, think, I, I really think I know what they're after. I believe what they're trying to do is provide a safe environment for people to process the issues of their heart and, and, and to share without somebody coming down on them two seconds later and saying, don't you realize, you've got sin in your heart. You've got that unrighteous anger in your heart. You need to forgive that person right now. Boom, boom, boom. In other words, there have been there have been abuses. There have been situations where people haven't been cared for very well at all. The truth has been spoken harshly. It hasn't been spoken in love. The Bible teaches speaking the truth in love. And if you're going to speak the truth, care for the person's heart and the process. Don't beat up on them. Care for them. Speak the truth without compromise. Yes. So if, if uh, Al came to me and he started pouring his heart out in terms of issues in his heart of past relationships and he, had, he was saying, no, I just really feel embarrassed to even say this, but you know, I just got anger in my heart a lot and, and uh, I just have these thoughts of, 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 of wanting this person's life to end. Now, how I respond to that is, is going to be important, not to make too much importance out of myself, but I want to listen to Al and say, tell me more. I want my attitude, my posture to be, tell me more, as opposed to, you're a Christian? How could you feel that? How could you have that in your heart? Before we leave here today, you better repent, buddy, or it, it could be a dangerous ride home. <laughs> but I want to care. I want to care for the heart without compromise. So I understand. I really believe that that statement Anger is neither right nor wrong. It's not a sin issue. It's a neutral issue. It's what you do with it that matters. I really believe that, that the premise of that was an overreaction to the abuses that people have experienced. The abuses from those who have not cared for their hearts well at all. So let's just make it a non-issue. It's not sin. We'll just say it isn't sin. Now it's safe. Now it's safe to leak oil all over the place. It's, it's safe to say you hate somebody. It's safe to say you'd like to kill them. And you're not going to be condemned. You're, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to concentrate on what to do with it. But I'm not going to make any kind of a sin issue on it. Well, I really believe that's incomplete. I don't think that helps people because I think we need to face reality. But I believe that even if it is a sin issue, it can still be safe. Who is safer than Jesus Christ. He's mighty. He's the King of Kings, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's mighty. But we can afford to be honest with ourselves. 
We can afford to look at anything in our hearts. We can afford to admit to ourselves, admit to God, and admit to others that we trust that we can admit anything in here because he died for us. He's so for us. And the more sin we see, the more, more we realize how much he loves us. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It's safe. Of course, you don't want to settle there. But we can resolve it. We can be free. We can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. We don't have to be stuck. So if I've got hatred in my heart, it is sin. If I've got unrighteous in my heart, it is sin. It isn't neutral. And yes, it matters what I do with it. More than one thing is true. Let's pause for just a minute and look at this list again and, and consider during the last 30 days, what have you experienced? As you consider those things that you've experienced in the last 30 days, I hope that you realize that it doesn't have to be murder in your heart for, for the anger, for the arrow of anger to apply. Maybe what you've experienced in the last 30 days has been mostly frustration and irritation. It's going to help you today to resolve that and not have it grow anymore, not have it grow bigger and bigger and, and take on a life of its own, so to speak. But even at that lower level, see that is something that has to come out. You don't want to settle for that. You don't want frustration and impatience and irritation hanging out in the living room of your heart. That won't help you. And I'll guarantee you, it won't stay the same. It will grow. So we need to get it out early, if, it's, if it is early. But maybe it's already full-blown. All the more reason. And it's not too late. It's not too late to get this arrow out. How to be free. How to be free from the arrow of anger. Well, once again, I want to revisit processing the issues of the heart. You've got that in your outline. I really believe that's a central, a central basis of approach where you're honest with yourself. Who or what has hurt me or offended me or what have I lost? And write it down. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Involve others in the process. That'll help you. We do that every night, Monday night rather, every Monday night at Fresh Start. That's, that's what Fresh Start is all about, helping people process the issues of the heart and be free from these arrows, unforgiveness, anger, and other things. So it's got to start somewhere. Be honest with yourself. And then, how do I feel about this? What do I think about this? Writing, writing that out. And then how have, I, how have I responded? How have I responded? Have I decided? I'm never going to let anybody trust me. I'm not going to let anybody get close to me again. I'm not going to trust anybody again. All men are the same. All women are the same. Categorize people. Making vows. I'll never. But they, they, they tend to be vows out of bitterness. They tend to be vows out of resentment, which is a dangerous vow. And once again, I want to remind you, that if you've had a significant other in your life that has offended you or hurt you and you're determined not to be like them, if you have bitterness in your heart, you will become like them or worse. So is the nature of bitterness. So is the nature of anger that crystallizes into bitterness and you actually become like, in essence, maybe not exactly the same behaviors, but you ironically, paradoxically become just like the person you're vowing not to become. 
but it's your living out of. You're living out of that anger. You're living out of that bitterness. You're opening yourself up to the enemy's influence, and then your behaviors become more and more fleshly and more and more influenced by the enemy, and you actually become like that person or worse. And in some cases, you're another generation of alcoholism. You're another generation of rage. You're another generation of immorality. You're another generation of fill in the blank. You just add to the flow of the generations. You enter in. You step in. But that unforgiveness links you in. That anger links you in. It ties you in. And you're in the chain. The chain, unfortunately, isn't broken. But we can break it. That's the good news. And I believe breaking it can begin by processing the issues of your heart. And then when you get to step four, pouring your heart out to the Lord, that is such a key point because so much has been built up, so much has been uh, stored up in here, and there really maybe hasn't been a safe person to talk to about it. And, and maybe you've tried before and you got a lecture or you pride, tried to talk to somebody and they beat you with the word of God. They beat up on you. They didn't care for your heart. And in other cases, they, they didn't know what to do, so they gave you some trite, simplified, uh, or over-spiritualized answer that didn't have any power or impact at all, so that was another dead end. Or they didn't have time for you, or they weren't there for you, and you've had many, many dry runs, so to speak. You've tried, but I don't think I'm going to try again because it, it hurts even more when I try. I don't want to hurt anymore. I already hurt. I'm already angry. I don't trust anybody anyway. Nobody knows what they're doing anyway. How, who can help me? And I'm angry at God. How could he allow this kind of stuff to happen? So I'm really not interested in his help either. That's a deadly place to be, isn't it? But I would say, tell me more. Tell me more. Let's get it out. Let's get it out. Get that poison out. Tell Jesus all about it. Just let it rip, let it go. But it has a purpose, it has a purpose. It's not going out in the woods and chopping wood or scream therapy or pillow, screaming your pillow therapy until you can't hardly scream anymore. You lose your voice and you feel better. That's not the answer. But it's getting it out with a purpose, directed to the Lord, telling him all about it most of all. And then be willing, be willing, this is a key point, be, be willing, this is a submission point, Giving thanks for what's happened. Giving thanks for the mess. Not because you like it, not because it feels good, but that's an act of submission. Because in a beginning way, okay, Lord, I, I'm willing to consider you allowing this to work for my good. It doesn't feel good. I don't see how it could work for good. I don't like it. I want it to end yesterday. Not another 10 years. Forget it. I can't take it. No. Lord, you're in charge. I'm not going to be in control anymore. I've made a mess. You be in control. Submitting to his sovereignty, submitting to his lordship, submitting to thy will be done. Keep, keep in mind, I mean, it's totally normal to be in process. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was asking the Father in his humanity, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. He settled in the right place, didn't he? Cain did not. Jesus did. All of us have not. But that can change. 
So process of the issues of the heart, which leads to forgiving those that we need to forgive. Because when you forgive them, that's a key part of breaking that chain. Because when you forgive them, then you are free from their definition of you. And we'll talk more about how that can affect you in just a few moments. And then releasing to the Lord. Finally coming to the point where you actually can pray for those that have hurt you and betrayed you. Not because you... Not because you like them, not because you want to be around them, and not because you will have a relationship with them, because forgiving somebody and having a relationship with them are two different things. Forgiving somebody and trusting them are two different things. They may never be trustworthy, but forgive them, because when you forgive them, you're free. They're not free from responsibility before the Lord. Well, here's a key point in part two here, under how to be free from the arrow of anger. And it relates to not only processing the issues of your heart, but it relates to the message of the arrows that we've already been talking about every week. As a part of this process, what would you identify in terms of other arrows that are contributing to your anger? What other arrows are contributing to your anger? Is the arrow of pride contributing to your anger? Are you always on your mind? Remember, pride is thinking too highly, thinking too lowly, thinking too much. And I would say that almost every time we get offended, it's a value issue at the core. We weren't included. We were excluded. We were betrayed. We were rejected. We weren't noticed. We weren't valued. It's always a value issue at the core. The offense always is a value issue at the core. And that bumps pride potentially bumps the pride of life. We have an appetite for significance, and that appetite isn't sinful in and of itself, but to satisfy the appetite for significance in and of ourselves, apart from Jesus Christ, is me first, pride. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you, but you must master it. Submit to the Lord. That's the only way you can master it. So the arrow of pride, and then the arrow of shame. Things that have happened to us, sexual abuse and other things that have been so imprinting, so violating, so defining, but then things we have done and that we still feel the shame of. So it's like we're angry that we didn't do something about it. This might sound so ironic to you, but when a person is raped or sexually abused, it's very, very common, not at the exclusion of other situations, but it's very, very common when somebody is violated in an extreme way for a demon to come into the situation at that point. Isn't, you think, how could that be? I mean, the person's being victimized already. Come on, Lord, have a little mercy here. How could you let that happen? He doesn't want sin. He doesn't want the demonic. We know where he's at, but it's very, very common. And then what, what happens at that point when that person is so violated, so victimized, so wronged, is the demon wants to take on the role of protecting them. The demon wants them to enter into a survivor approach to life. And it's not like there's a dialogue, and it's not like it's all that cognizant, but the person does enter into a fear-based, I don't trust anybody-based approach, a survivor approach to life, where they isolate and everybody else is out, and I'm the only one I can trust. And when you put a wall here, the wall goes there, and you're putting everybody out. You're, you're, you're separating yourself from everybody, including God. So, but isn't that interesting? 
So as a part of freedom, as a part of freedom, when you forgive somebody who has wronged you in that way, it's going to be very important to take authority over the demon of anger or rage, rejection or shame that came in, or isolation or abandonment that came in at that point, to take authority over it in Jesus' name, because that enemy, that spirit wants to separate you. And that spirit, keep in mind how diabolical they are, they love to stir the pot, they love to stir up anger. And if you ever, maybe you've experienced it yourself, and maybe you've experienced it with others, that a person has gotten so angry, and they've gone into a rage, and then you've talked to them later on, and you've said, well, you know, you did thus and so when you got so angry, and they do not recommend, they don't recall what they said. They don't recall what they did. And uh, I would say most of the time, if not all the time, the explanation for that is the demonic had kicked in at that point. And that's really what was being expressed more than anything else. The demonic was being more expressed than the, the human being. The person honestly doesn't remember saying. They honestly don't remember. Now, they, they still have a responsibility, though. Hear me loud and clear on that. But they don't remember. And that is absolutely bewildering to the person who's been a part of it. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of that person's rage and anger, and you want them to own it. You want them to own their anger, own their rage, ask for forgiveness, and now they're telling you they don't even remember. They don't even remember saying those things. And you're thinking, am I losing my mind? I mean, I was there. I heard what they said. I saw what they did. And they're telling me they didn't do it. You can see that just adds to the person who's in that abusive relationship being abused in that situation by the one who has a spirit of anger, among other things. Not the only thing, but among other things. So what arrow is influencing your anger? It could be the arrow of pride, as I've said. It could be the arrow of shame. Where there is shame, Many times, like I've been saying, it isn't, many times there's an expression of anger with that shame because the, a demon came in at the point of that abuse and that demon loves to stir up anger, loves to isolate, loves to stir unforgiveness. And then there's fear because of the traumatic events that may have been involved in a particular situation. But one thing I've noticed about fear a person who is very controlling, tending to be controlling, many times, if not almost all the time, a person who's extremely controlling is being influenced at the core by an issue of fear, maybe even a spirit of fear. And we sometimes think, man, a lot of that person is so controlling. They're so assertive. They just, they manipulate, they dominate, they twist. They got to be in control. And there could be a spirit of witchcraft involved, a spirit of control involved. Other things could be involved, true, but at the core, it could be fear influencing them more than anything else. Because they're not going to get hurt again. They're going to be in control from now on. You see, they have been in situations sometimes where they were out of control. They were violated. They were abused. They were in a difficult situation, difficult to them. And it's kind of like there's a resolve in them. I will not be out of control again. I will always be in control. That's what they live from. 
And of course, if they live that way, what does that do for their relationship with others? That does not tend to build relationships, does it? It tends to set the stage for nobody want to be around them. And if that, if, then if they're in the rejection cycle, that just feeds the rejection cycle because nobody wants to be around them because they're a controller, a manipulator. People avoid them. So that feeds the lie of rejection too. So what is influencing your anger? Is pride? Is shame? Is fear? Is rejection? I really believe to get to the core of this, to get to the bottom of this, to get this arrow out, to get this arrow out, yes, processing the issues of the heart might be mission accomplished. Yes, forgiving somebody might be mission accomplished. Yes, if you have the power, the grace, the ability to repent of that anger and submit yourself to the sovereign will of God, and that is paid dirt, that is mission accomplished, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But there may be a need for more. And don't let the enemy tell you that is because such, you're such a hard case. You're just in such bad shape. Or bringing the love of God into question, which he loves to do that. In other words, if, if we can't get it settled just like that, then there's something wrong with you. Can't get it settled just like that, then God maybe doesn't like you. He, maybe he doesn't love you. After all, he allowed you to be abused, didn't he? After all, he allowed you to be betrayed, didn't he? After all, he's been so unfair, hasn't he? You can't trust him. That's from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. But he is a liar, and he has come. The enemy is a liar. He's come to kill, devour, and destroy. And you know, the picture I have of him, you talk about anger. I believe that the angriest person in all of creation is Satan himself. He is so full. He is so full of pride. He is so full of shame. He is so full of fear. He is so full of rejection. He is so full of these arrows. He is so full of me first. He is the most miserable person in creation. He is the angriest person in creation. He is the most prideful person in creation. And he's trying to bring us down. Are you going to let him do it? I hope not. I hope not. I hope you want to be free. You can be free. When you, give, when you yield to anger, you're giving your happiness away. When you yield to anger, you're allowing people, places, and the things have more power over you than Jesus Christ and who he wants to be. Anger cannot survive without idolatry. Because if we're angry, something is too important. Or we wouldn't be that angry. And I'm not talking about anger in submission to, the, to our Heavenly Father, as Jesus was in the temple. I'm not talking about anger in submission. Anger under submission. That's righteous anger. Hating the sin, loving the sinner, under submission, not out of control. People, places, and things don't have, money, have more power over me than Jesus has over me. And the effect he has, the influence he has, the value I put on my relationship with him, and I don't want anything to rob that or steal that away. I think of an example in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's turn to the fourth chapter. I won't read the whole thing today. I'll just read the part after he comes to his senses, King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 34, chapter 4 of Daniel. At the end of time, after seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised up 
I raised up my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored, and then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can say, nobody can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? At the same time, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My, my advisors and my nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. This is key. This is key. You've got to be convinced. You've got to buy in here. You've got to be like Nebuchadnezzar. We're, this is it right here. This is a key to submitting to God and being free from anger and a whole lot of other things. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt the glory of the king of heaven because everything regarding to God, everything he does is right. Are you convinced? You must be convinced God is always right. You must be convinced. If you question that at all, you're vulnerable. You may not understand most of it, but you must, you must abide in submitting to He's good. He can only do me good. He's love. He can only love me. He's right. He can only do rightly by me. He's right. And all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Submit to the sovereign will of God. If this arrow is going to come out, if this arrow is going to come out, anger management won't do it. Anger management, behavior modification won't do it. We've got to get to the heart of it. We've got to pull this arrow out at the heart. And if it's attached to pride, it's got to go too. If it's attached to shame, it's got to go too. And fear and rejection, they've all got to go. And maybe all of them have to go for this one to go. If you try to pull this one out and you've still got pride, shame, fear, and rejection in you, this one isn't going to go. It's not going to go. Because the other ones are going to set you up to be offended again, not feel valued again. You're, you'll be in the rejection cycle again. It'll be a downward descent again. You'll always be on your mind. Life will not be fair, and you'll be looking at the empty part of the cup. You'll live in the empty part of the cup, not the full part of the cup. Romans 8, 28 and 29. All things work together for good. Not separately. For those who love God, not everybody, for those who will submit to him. All things work together for good for those who love him, who will submit to his sovereign will. And what will happen then? All things work together for good for those who love God are called according to his purpose, and his purpose is to mold and shape us into his image, to glorify him, to get the arrows out, for the glory to be manifest, not for us to be happy. Happiness isn't his goal. He wants to be our goal and submitted to him and his purposes, and then we'll be happy, by the way. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord, the happiest person in all of creation, and he is the self-existent one who was never created because he is God and always has been and always will. The happiest person is God. Isn't that ironic? The angriest person is Satan. The happiest person is God. So if you, it depends on who you're going to let run your life. <laughs> It'll either be you or God, and if it's you, the enemy will be influencing you. Before we close, and before I give you an opportunity to respond, what are some anger admonitions that I would close with? 
not only decisions of a moment, but attitudes of a lifetime that will follow our time today. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. See that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. Forgive in order that Satan may not outwit us. Above all else, guard your heart. Realize that this is a treasure within. When Jesus moves in, it's a treasure. We are a treasure within. What do you think of the treasure? Are you going to guard the treasure? Are you going to protect the treasure? Are you going to protect and nurture the treasure of relationship with him? I hope, I pray that that will be the case. But the antidote, the antidote of antidotes, the bullseye, submit to the sovereign will of God and his purposes. Think about it. If you live that way, oh yes, you'll be tempted at times. Oh yes, there'll be times where you will yield to anger and you'll be wrong. Repent. Fresh start. Submit again. Don't make the goal not to get angry. Don't make the goal not to sin. Don't make the goal to be good. Don't make the goal to be a good Christian. Make him your goal. Make him your life. Be in process. Celebrate the process. Be willing to be, have it be a messy process at times. Be willing not to look good. Be willing not to feel good. Be willing to be in pain. Be willing to be betrayed. Be willing to be wronged. Be willing to hurt again. Be willing to have pain again. Be willing for it to be hard. With an attitude, Lord, if this is what it takes to make me the man or the woman, the son or the daughter that you want me to be, bring it on. Bring it on. That's not an arrogant challenge. Bring it on. Let it happen. You are always right, Lord. Just and right are your ways. Have your way with your son or your daughter. If you have to use betrayal to do it, if you have to use somebody else wronging me, if you want to bless me, if you want to prosper me in different ways, good, bad, or in between, use it all for your glory. But Lord, I want the arrows out. I want your glory to come forth from my life. I want to be pleasing to you. I want to please you. You'll be anger-free in no time at all. Let's close in prayer, and then I have an opportunity for you to respond further. Lord, thank you for these that have come. I pray their hearts are open. I pray they won't settle for anger. They won't settle for the status quo. But they'll be saying, that, that, that arrow's got to go today, and all the other arrows too. In Jesus' name, Lord, set us free, Lord. Anger-free except that which is still in submission to you. In Jesus' name, amen.